Straight from the 734, it's the Eastern Insider Podcast. Your chance to get in on the action. I can guarantee you it's one area of the building I won't be using because we all know how little time I'm spending in any weight room. A lot of crazy scenarios that can happen and need to happen for the defending MAC tournament champions. Uh, the assist numbers spoke for themselves. Looking forward to the trip down to Akron. Uh, sure, Akron. Now, let's send it to the guys on the inside of it all. Greg Steiner and Alex Jewell. Every week's a special week on the Eastern Insider Podcast, but this week, again, as usual, takes the cake a historic week following Eastern Michigan's football's big win over Western Michigan out on the west side of the state. And you get basketball this week. So much more on this episode of the Eastern Insider Podcast. I'm Greg Steiner. And I'm Alex Jewell. What a fun weekend it was to go to Kalamazoo, Alex, and pull off a win in Bronco country for the first time since 2012. Get me a little Jimmy Buffett, Heinz 57, and French fried potatoes because Eastern Michigan football dropping a 50-burger on the Broncos, Greg Steiner. First time that we've seen that in a couple of years. And more importantly, a big first win of the year over Western Michigan. That makes it two consecutive over Western. I think Preston Hutchinson and just has a little touch for these rivalry games. Maybe the folks in Mason have a little kryptonite for Western Michigan because back-to-back years we've seen Preston have a tremendous game against Western Michigan. And his cohorts in Tanner Canoe, the other comet that's from Mason, finds a way to have a one-handed grab and go for a big touchdown right before the half that was top 10 worthy on SportsCenter. There was a lot of really critical plays, firework plays, if you will, a a true shootout by definition in this game. Uh, And really, even though Western got 42 points on the board, Greg, it's important to note that coming into the game, Western's Dwayne Eskridge, he led the nation in all-purpose yards, averaging over 250 yards a game, while Neil Nethery and his crew, and of course, Jay Nunez on special teams as well. He should get some credit uh, for that. They held Eskridge to under 100 yards for the first time this season. That was a big difference in the game. It was. uh, Take that out of the equation, and also Western Full turns it over on three separate occasions. That gives Eastern Michigan short field position a couple times, made for a fun day. We'll get the thoughts from Eastern Michigan bench boss Chris Great later on in this show as we talk to Chris about the week that was, as well as the historic performance that for the first time in EMU football history. All three Mac Weekly Awards are coming to his team. Preston Hutchinson, Jose Ramirez, and Chad Ryland all collected Mac honors this week. And we also get his thoughts headed into this weekend, Senior Day, for those support staff that won't be back next year. Because you remember, Alex, most of the senior class can come back should they choose. So this Eagle team, you're going to see a lot of for next year as well. That's right, Greg. And we talk every year about how important it is to end the season on a high note. You always want to take those players who are coming back and give them momentum as you build towards next season. But this year, I think that might actually be elevated just a little bit because as you just mentioned, every player uh, or most of the players are going to have the opportunity to return to the team next year. So maybe more so than ever, having some success towards the back end of the season can fuel a little bit of a run next year so that when the season does come around, you can hit the ground running a little bit quicker than the Eagles did this season. We also saw women's basketball find a way to win 
win twice last week. They knock off Ball State in the MAC opener down at Worthen Arena, and then they go to Cape Girardeau and pull off another win. So three wins now for head coach Fred Castro and company. And I know you got the chance to talk to him before a week that sees them get another MAC opponent this week in the Bowling Green Falcons. A really impressive week for women's basketball, and even more so for the athletic department as a whole. Worth noting that their win yesterday at Southeast Missouri was the 600th in program history. Not too shabby when you realize the program is only 45 years old and when you start looking back at some of the great players and accolades that the program has garnered over its time, I know that Coach Castro is excited about the win, excited about a 3 and one start. That ties his best start uh, as the head coach here in five years. But he's thinking, hold on now, 600 wins does not equal a MAC championship. We still are looking to do that and they're off to a good start. You mentioned it, Greg, going down to Ball State. That's a tough arena to win in. Is worth Three straight victories now over Ball State, the largest margin of victory over them, 19 points since 2012. And then to go in on the back end of this weekend, get a win at Southeast Missouri. Keep in mind, Southeast Missouri, uh, Ohio Valley uh, Conference champion last year, favorited this year again. They took number five Louisville down to the wire in a game earlier this season. Uh, not a bad program there. And to go on the road, a nine-hour bus trip. You and I have made some long road trips. I don't like nine-hour bus I'm trips. I'm doing anything if I have to for nine hours. <laughs> exactly. So to go on the road and to come down off of a high of Ball State and still be able to face some adversity early on in the SEMO game and to get that win. Well, Coach Castro will break that all down for us here uh, in my interview with him. And then they look ahead to Bowling Green. Like you said, uh, this team in Bowling Green is a different look Falcon team than in years past. We all know Bowling Green's been down towards the bottom half of the league. Not this year. Robin Freilich has them playing in Northwest Ohio and it, it will be a fun time on Friday night at the Stroh Center. WEMU will have the call of that game as well. The ESPN family of networks. Speaking of WEMU, our own Tom Helmer had a chance this week to also catch up with a legend in Eastern Michigan or I don't know, uh, granted, you're not yet uh, even 25 years old. I, I'm a little older than you, but the man that Tom talks to, 44 years, he was the voice of Eastern Michigan athletics, and that's John C. Fountain. If either of us get to that point, I'm assuming that they'll pull us off the air by then, because I don't know that people would want to listen to me for that long. Of course, you might be a different story, and Greg, don't sell yourself short. You don't look a day over 25, my friend. You don't look a day over 25. John Fountain, I have to just tell everybody, when you turn this interview on, it's one of those that if you've got one headset in, you, you put both earbuds in and you just listen because, man, it's no surprise that he was able to spend nearly a half century on the mic when you hear him talk and the stories and the passion. And for being 90 years old, the detail that he can recall from games from the 60s and 70s is unbelievable, Greg. I know you share a lot of respect for him and he's somebody that has certainly inspired you as well. He was. If you look back in the history of our office, he was the second ever uh, sports information director at East Michigan held it for a number of years before handing it off to Jim Streeter, who then passed the baton to me. So he's special in that aspect. But he's also the man who helped keep Eastern Michigan Division One in, in the early 1980s. Of course, there was a movement to, to drop Eastern Michigan from the Mid American Conference, and John spearheaded Eastern Energy back in those days, which ultimately led to a MAC championship in 1987 for the football team and the first ever bowl appearance at California Bowl. So uh, also lucky enough to share the microphone. Follow John for a few 
basketball broadcast before he hung it up as well. So a very uh, good moment with him and a great interview here. We'll also have some more of him coming up during some upcoming basketball games as well on the radio. We will. And before we get to the first interviews of the day, Greg, you mentioned WEMU and of course our office. That brings to mind, we need to thank everybody that took the time to donate last week on giving True Day. The Eastern uh, Foundation set a new record in donations, well over a million dollars across campus and athletics was a big part of that. And so to everybody that took time to donate to the Jim Streeter Fund, to the Media Relations Office, or to WEMU Sports Broadcasts or the Eagles Will Fly campaign, uh, we can't thank you enough because as we talked about last week, it's the way that these types of shows keep going. It's the way that we're able to take you on the inside every week, talk to our coaches and staff, and we're so excited to have you listening on this week's edition of the Eastern Insight. Be sure to download the Eastern Michigan Game Day app, available in the App Store and Google Play. The EMU Athletics app features live video, real-time social streams, scoreboards, stats, and more. An entire app dedicated to Eastern Athletics. Download the EMU Athletics app today. Hard to imagine the marathon nearly complete that has been the 2020 season. It's been a sprint for these six games. A marathon is usually what you race, but you go back all the way to when this pandemic started. It's been a marathon of surviving and the home finale upon us. Joined by head coach Chris Creighton. It'll be the latest game Eastern has ever played in a regular season. It's also the first time Eastern has played a home game in December, but you come home victorious. What's it like to come home and make that trip from 94 from Kalamazoo? Well, it was a, it was a fun locker room uh, for sure. And, and a good trip home, uh, no doubt, you know, the, the Sunday meeting um, really was not really though any different um, than any other Sunday. And, you know, we're preparing today, just like any other um, really happy that our guys got to, you know, experience victory and the success, you know, in the locker room and on the way home, like you talked about. Um, I mean, it's fun to win. And uh, so that was something that we we definitely wanted um, and needed. Um, but we've also have moved on now. Um, you know, as you said, we're in our final week and want to soak up every moment um, and take advantage of all these opportunities to continue to get better. When you look at that game, turnover takeaways has been the story all year. You're able to get three takeaways from Western Michigan, uh, a, a fumble, have have a kickoff that they're they're able to to muff. Uh, the biggest things in that game. What what do you take away defensively that your team was able to do in 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 that contest with taking away a guy like Eskridge's ability to to catch the ball multiple ways? Yeah, you know. <clears throat> First of all, our defense took the ball away, you know, and when we take away three possessions from a team that's very explosive in a game that ended up being a shootout, um, it's critical. You know, I just posed the question, if they had three more possessions, uh, you know, in addition to what they already had, uh, you know, that I don't like the sounds of that. Um, so those those three takeaways were, were critical in our success. And then, you know, I think the defensive staff did a really good job of trying to limit explosives um, specifically, you know, to number one. And um, and they did that. They still got explosives on us. 
but uh, we really, I think, frustrated number one, and that may have impacted, you know, their whole team. People look often at trends, and one of the trends that your team has been very good at is in the red zone, both offensively and defensively. You're number one in the red in red zone offense nationally. You're number four in red zone defense nationally. When you look at those numbers, what it's so much more tough to sometimes score and take the ball away when you're inside the 20. What has been the difference maybe this year? You're 22 percentage points better than a year ago in both categories inside the red zone. Well, defensively, you know, it's, 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 it's how we're, it's how we're built, you know, by, by not giving up explosive plays. Sometimes we give away some of the, you know, frustrating um, underneath and the, the dink and dunks. Um, But then as the space, you know, evaporates in, into the red zone, then there's there's just less space, off, obviously, for, for an offense to work. So um, really proud of our defense's effort, you know, in the red zone. Offensively, you know, we've been, we've been frustrated, um, you know, with probably kicking more field goals than, than scoring touchdowns. And so we don't feel as though um, we're doing as well in the red zone, if I'm honest with you. Um, as we could be doing now, I'll say this. I mean, you know, Chad's only missed two field goals and they were both 50 plus yards and early, um, you know, we feel as though we got a really strong unit right there and can depend on those guys really from anywhere, including from plus 50. Um, so um, that, I mean, that is definitely a, uh, a focus point for us to get better there. The Mid-American Conference this morning comes out that your team has been recognized with three players of the week, Preston Hutchison, Co-offensive player of the week, Jose Ramirez, the defensive player of the week, and Chad Ryland, the special teams player of the week. When you look at those three, it takes a team effort, but it's a pretty cool honor to, to have never in Eastern Michigan football history collected all three awards in the same week before. Oh, that's great. I didn't know that. Um, excited for, for all three of those guys. And again, just excited for our team. You know, when you have, when you have success, um, you know, Stuff like that comes along with it. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm glad that those guys um, have been honored. This week, Northern Illinois will be the op- opponent that you'll face, 0-5 on the year. But they've had had abilities to be in close games. What have you seen so far from Tom, Thomas Hammock and his crew? Well, I, I see um, a young team that is absolutely fighting and battling. And when I say that, I don't just mean playing hard. I mean, their games are going to the very end um, and they've been on the short end of the stick. I mean, they've had one game really kind of get get away from them. But other than that, um, I think that mirror images in a, in a lot of ways, um, you know, so this is going to be a uh, this will be a war on Saturday for sure. When you you look back at the season that that is and I know you're still in it. Players, a lot of them will come back. They get another year. But for the the people around you in this program, there's some of them, this will be their final time that they'll take the field at Rainierson. You look at the equipment staff. They're losing some some students that have been four-year employees. Your video staff, sports med staff. When you look at those kids, how do you recognize them on this being their final home game? Yeah, you know, it's it's all about perspective. You know, we are, I mean, what if they didn't have a season at all? Um, you know, that would have just been a, a, a total travesty for them. And so we're thankful that we're getting to, 
have the season, you know, for, for everybody, especially guys who don't get the, the recognition and the credit for working so hard like that and really making this program go and making this program special. Um, the other perspective is it's like, wow, I mean, how can you, you know, recognize them? There's nobody here. And it's, you know, that, that part's tough. So, um, uh, we know internally, you know, how much every single person matters. And, and I, I really hope, but I also believe that, um, you know, everybody who's associated with the program knows that, uh, we appreciate and care about all the work, um, that goes into making a football program go. And, you know, we are going to miss, uh, we're going to miss some great ones. Um, there's no question about it. And, uh, um, yeah, I just want to make it a special, you know, last uh, five days for him. Coach, appreciate your time. As always, we know season finale this week, big week next week with, with signing day and then the holidays upon us. Thanks for your time as always throughout this year. All right. Appreciate you. Go Eagles. Looking for a ride? Trinity Transportation has the vehicle for you. From luxurious motor coaches to cozy sedans, Trinity Transportation is prepared to take you to your destination. Check out their fleet of vehicles at trinitytransportation.com or call 877-284-4200 to book today. That's trinitytransportation.com or 877-284-4200. Trinity Transportation, the official transportation provider of Eastern Michigan Athletics. Joining us now by Zoom, a very special guest, John Fountain, the longtime voice of Eastern Michigan football and basketball. John, it's great to see you through Zoom and and welcome. Well, it's just great to be seen when you're as old as we are. For sure. Let's start by talking about some of your your fondest memories of football. When I when I say that to you, what pops into your mind? Well, I think a couple of things. Uh, really, the the birth of the modern era of football at Eastern as we went out of, you know, when I I first joined the Eastern Michigan family, they were playing in the President's Athletic Group against teams like Allegheny, Teal, and Washington, and Jefferson. And a new president who had the full force of the Board of Regents behind him wanted to go big time. And uh, the first step was uh, through the NAAI to get national recognition. And so that period of time of going from obscurity to the point in a matter of five or six years where we were traveling to Penn State in Arizona uh, was really special, uh, particularly, I think, the year uh, 1971, when uh, in the college division at that time, Eastern was the number one team in the nation, undefeated uh, in the regular season, and uh, went to what was then called the, the playoffs, the final four, and uh, played Louisiana Tech in the, in the uh, Pioneer Bowl. I think that's the first one. And then you, you skip uh, two decades out until you get to the period of time from, say, 1984 into the 90s, with uh, the feature, of course, being the California Bowl, 1987. And of course, you bring up 1984, and there may be a lot of people that don't know this, but the MAC had voted Eastern Michigan out of the conference, but the NCA stepped in and said no. But it looked like for a while there, the conference wanted Eastern Michigan out, and Eastern Michigan responded by by 1987 winning the conference and going to the California Bowl. I think there's a lesson to be learned. I think by all universities everywhere, is that what was making it successful at that particular time was the alignment of the Board of Regents saying. We've got to compete. We've got to stay on the back. 
a president who put the pressure on everybody, including me. Uh, I, I can still remember the day he called the press conference with the Detroit press coming in and sitting around. And he made the announcement publicly before he actually talked to me. He said, I'm relieving John Fountain of all his responsibilities here. And he has three things to do. Sell 17,000 tickets to every football game this fall. Get a auditing firm to get a paper trail that all of these are being sold and not given away. And hire an airplane to take an aerial shot to take a look at the stadium to prove that those tickets are being used. <laughs> and... Yeah, when you've got that kind of force behind a program, it begins to move forward. And of course, uh, a key of all of it was the hiring of Jim Harkema as the head football coach. And that was his original recruiting class. And by the time they were seniors, 1987, with uh, Ron Adams at quarterback and, and Gary Patton as the running back, they were able to win their only Mid-American Conference championship, go to the California Bowl and be victorious. It was Really a great time to be part of the Eastern Michigan University family. We're talking with John Fountain. It's one thing to say it's your job to put 17,000 people in the seats. And I look back at one of the games against UNLV, there were 25,000. But how did you sell those tickets? How did you encourage people to come watch Eastern Michigan football? Well, you got to remember one thing. It wasn't wasn't an individual effort. It, with, with the force of the president and the uh, Board of Regents, you had the whole university united behind you, and we're going to save the athletic program. But what John Porter, as the president, didn't want to do is have it just, uh, he wanted to see those tickets used and really be the start of the program. But uh, uh, no, it was an everyday, we, we, we had a magnificent program. Uh, and you couldn't do it if they didn't let you do it. But, you know, we had laser light shows. We brought in uh, uh, soupy sales. Soupy sales. And we had break dancers around. Uh, we had a uh, beer tent inside the, the, the stadium. Uh, and we gave away uh, an automobile in the last uh, game of the year. We kind of built up to that giveaway of uh, giving away a brand new uh, Mercury at that time. If I said to you, it sounds like a great time. If I said to you, name a couple of your favorite uh, Eastern Michigan players to, to call games for and cover in your time there, who pops to mind? Well, my favorite of all time, and now we go all the way back to the first one of the Pioneer Bowl with Larry Ratcliffe, who was the finest running back that I can remember covering uh, in my years of broadcasting. Uh, and he was injured in the ninth game of the season. And uh, he was not there for the uh, Pioneer Bowl. In fact, we were on our fourth string running back uh, for that game. And we were primarily a running ball club at the time. We had very little passing down. But Larry Ratcliffe, I think for his career, uh, Greg Steiner can verify it. I sometimes get fuzzy with numbers <laughs> at my age. But average something like 7.2 yards per carry for a career. And uh, I remember in that season, uh, there were four games in which he was over 200 yards rushing. One time he got, I think, as high as 294 yards in a game. He would be my number one. And then, of course, as you go again, the, that next 20-year span, Charlie Batch. Yeah. And the amazing, uh, his, his story is that we could do a whole show just on what the career of Charlie Batch and how he was recruited and came had to sit out two years before he actually got the starting role. And then when uh, he was really ready to go, a new coach came in with two new quarterbacks that he brought with him as transfers. 
And it wasn't until the Toledo game that year that Charlie Batch took over. We were behind 17 to nothing in the first quarter when he pulled the starting quarterback and put in Charlie Batch. Charlie put 40 points on the scoreboard, and we won that ball game. That's, and I got to tell you, you, you are sure. Great memories. Those are kind of bookends when you're talking about things that happened uh, during our time there. I, I got to tell you, you're sharp as a tack. To remember those numbers and stats over a career that started in 1963 is unbelievable. Well, you've got to check them first before you come up with it. Like I said, I, I can get a little fuzzy at times. Well, John, we appreciate you coming on and talking football with us. And, and please join us again because I know you've got a lot more stories and I know that Eastern Michigan alumni and fans want to hear those stories. Okay. Well, thanks. We really appreciate the call. Welcome back to the Eastern Insider Podcast. We're joined now alongside fifth-year head women's basketball coach Fred Castro. And coach, I've got to ask you before we get into specifics, you guys get home from a road trip where you just took down Southeast Missouri State, a beautiful win on the road, and more importantly for the program, 600th victory all-time in Eastern Michigan women's basketball program started back in the 70s and now at that milestone. When you think about the time that you've been able to spend here now in your fifth season at Eastern Michigan, how big of a milestone is that and what does it mean to you to be a part of it? Yeah, it's uh, obviously a big accomplishment uh, for the, the athletic department and, and the, the women's program uh, in itself. Uh, says a lot about the, the history we've had here, the success we've had here, and uh, hopefully we can continue to build on it moving forward. Uh, when you think about the, the league and the conference that the Eastern Michigan has been associated with, I think uh, that number is, is no small feat. When you hit milestones like the 600 wins, it prompts someone like me and, and maybe a coach too to start looking back at some of the records that go along with that and seeing how many players have won you know, all-max status or that we've had 23 players score 1,000 points. You see, of course, the two appearances in the NCAA tournament. Is that something you do too where you start thinking about, okay, you know, we, we hit 600 wins, great, but we still have to make a big impact here as well? The honest answer is no. We're, we're in the middle of it. I'm, I'm strictly thinking about BG. I'm, you know, 600 is a great number, and, and right now the number I'm thinking about is one, right? And uh, I'm very much a, a process-oriented person those 600 didn't happen because somebody said hey here's what we're trying to do right it, it happened because uh the student athletes were willing to put in the time and the work and the, the coaching staffs and the support staff uh did all the little things to to allow it so you know those are things that i i, I love the numbers and all that but those are things that i really look at towards at once the season is over and you take a big picture look at everything and, and see where we're at and where we're trying to get to. Well, and you only get to 600 wins if there is great players along the way. And something that I don't think anybody can deny is that maybe one of the best in terms of overall talent to suit it up is on your team right now, Ariana Combs. I know you don't like getting into that talk as well, but just strictly, I mean, she has become a fantastic player, one of the best in all of mid-major basketball at the guard position. And she's do doing it again this year, already up now to 28 consecutive games in double figures. And she led your team to two really good wins this week. First off, talk 
about the Ball State performance because Ariana was coming off of a game in UIC where she still put up great numbers, but wasn't necessarily her best for what she expects for herself or what you expect. But then she comes out and leads you guys to a third straight victory over the Cardinals. No question that Ariana's one of the best mid-major guards in the country. I, I, you know, there are some really good guards in this conference. So there's that's a, a certainty, but. You know, I think she goes toe-to-toe with anybody in the country um, at that guard position. Uh, in terms of Ball State, um, you know, I thought her leadership more so than anything was exceptional. Um, her mentality, uh, her approach to practice for Ball State uh, was exceptional. And, you know, um, our team in many ways uh, – you know, they feel her confidence and they feel her energy. She is such a dynamic, not just player, but personality. Uh, so she immediately impacts a room when she walks in. Uh, so I, I couldn't be uh, more happy for her in terms of how we responded from a tough loss to go to Ball State in a conference game and play as well as we did. Ball State, a matchup for you guys that is always challenging because they are so good and they play great basketball, but you guys have played really well against Ball State in your time here. Five and five now against the Cardinals, three straight victories. Team has not done that since 2010 to 2011. So what is it about the Ball State matchup specifically that allows you guys to be so competitive? I think three straight victories. I think we've won five of the last six, if I'm not mistaken. No. Uh, I think in many ways... Um, we're very similar teams. We're defensive-minded. Uh, uh, and then we also know where Ball State uh, has been in this league uh, historically. They've they've been a postseason team all the time. And the only way for us to get where we want to get to is by beating those teams. Um, I know last year we finished identically uh, in defense in terms of points per game allowed that we both tied for number one. And that's a spot that, I'll be honest with you, this is a team that wants that spot for itself this year. So that Ball State game is always a, uh, you know, it's not a game I ever have to worry about are we going to get up for, if you will. You know, this is a game that it's going to require 40 minutes of basketball, uh, focus, effort, discipline, uh, I think that's probably when we're at our very best. You go from Ball State to having to take the longest road trip of the year thus far, a nine-hour bus ride to Cape Girardeau, Missouri, a homecoming of sorts for one of your guards, obviously, in Courtney Lewis. A challenge like that can be almost more challenging than the actual game on the court, just getting the team uh, into that mindset of the road trip. But you go on the road and still pull out a, a really nice double-digit victory. How much does that say about your team, the ability to go from the UIC loss to a high of the Ball State win to all the things that are encompassed on a road trip and then being able to put together still such a performance on the court? Yeah, I think it's a reflection of our leadership um, between our seniors and the juniors that have played a lot of basketball here. Um, I think they've, they've, they've been through a lot already. Um, I thought... Um, the conversations that we had after the UIC game uh, were were very genuine and productive, and you see, um, I think they know what they're capable of. And Ball State and Semo, you know, Semo won 25 games last year. They won their conference. They are a really good opponent, especially when you play them at their place, and you you know you had opportunities and you know to say well it was a long trip it was all the fact is we 
we made that nine hour drive, went straight to the gym, we taped up their ankles, and we got to work and had a pretty get after it practice, and they responded really well. And sure enough, that preparation showed in the game. And, and again, I think it's a reflection of our senior leadership and, and those guys really having a mentality uh, as we approach that game. And that was going to be my next question. I think people, if they just look at the recaps or maybe the, the box scores, they'll see, okay, Eastern off to a really good start. They've beaten these teams by quite a hefty margin. So are Ball State and SEMO down? No, these are really good programs you're facing, and, and you guys are putting up good results early on. No question. I mean, Western Kentucky, uh, Ball State went and beat Western Kentucky, who is a you know postseason team every year. Um, obviously, we just talked about SEMO. But it, again, I think for this team, it's really going to be less about our opponents and more about us uh, and our continued growth. You, you look at, you know, we got a lot of really good players, but if you look at Ariana Combs, she goes five for 10 for three. That is a big deal. You know, um, that's something that she's really worked on um, in terms of progressing and developing her game. Um, Sonera didn't play great, and yet she still ended up being productive. Uh, Nat, I thought, was really good defensively, was solid, helped us rebound. And then, obviously, uh, Kylie O'Hara came in and goes four for five from three. So the, the, there's a domino effect there, and uh, it's fun to see them getting a little bit better every day uh, when we play these games. When you mentioned that defense, right now, Ariana Combs, top five in the country in steals, which is uh, an incredible number. And you just mentioned one of your newest players to touch the court, Kylie O'Hara. She comes in as a transfer from Florida International. Just last week, you find out she's going to get to play. So she gets her first game this past Sunday against SEMO. And you said it four for five from deep. But something I noticed and we were talking about is just the length she brings a true all-around athlete to your team. Again, another person that might be coming off the bench, but people need to realize she's going to be a key contributor for you, isn't she? Uh, yeah, well, we hope so. You know, uh, it's it's pretty impressive what she was able to accomplish uh, because she really hasn't been getting that many reps. You know, we really asked her to, to go out there and execute our bread and butter in terms of defense and offense and just play her game. And I think her teammates deserve a lot of credit. They found her when she was open and gave her the ball in her shooting pocket so she could catch and shoot. Uh, so it was exciting for all of us to see her do that because we see her do it in practice uh, when she's on the scout team. But now she can get some more reps with that green team. And uh, that's only going to make us better as a whole. So uh, it was a lot of fun to see those guys put it together. It was fun to see them be so dominant defensively. I thought we were really locked in. Um, you know, you mentioned Ari's five steals, uh, but two games before, Jenna had eight steals in one game. So it, it's really a, a team effort. Um, even just playing half-court defense, uh, we can still create some problems for opponents. We're talking to head women's basketball coach Fred Castro on this edition of the Eastern Insider, and I can attest personally that all the career highs, game highs that are coming uh, the way of his players, man, it's making me do extra work, uh, but that's good because it shows in the 3-1 and record. Coach, before we get into this next matchup here coming up on Friday, I do want to ask you about another player because 
We've talked so many times on this show, you've talked with Tom Helmer in the pregame and on halftime about uh, Jenna Anna Carico, Ariana Combs, whoever it may be. But someone we don't talk about as much is Rajon Harris, who has come in this year and has made a significant impact, averaging six points a game and giving you minutes that don't, maybe don't show up on the stat sheet as much. But man, she has really taken her game to the next level and to the point where I've had people text or call me and say, we're watching the game. Who is this? Who is this? Has she been on the team? And I say, yeah. And, and her teammates have told me that she's worked harder maybe than anybody. I don't think you can argue it. I don't think, I mean, her and Ari are right up there in terms of what they've done this offseason. Ray, for example, never left here. COVID, she was here the whole time. Uh, and I think a lot of it was a, a mental focus for her. Um, she had such a good summer. She worked so hard to get her body right uh, with Coach Fink, our strength and conditioning coach. Um, and and she she's really done a nice job uh, with both Katie Hempen and, and Malika Willis and getting in here, getting extra reps before practice, watching extra film, really trying to understand what we're asking her to do. Uh, and it's so much fun to see a young lady that's worked so hard, uh, see it pay off. Two years ago, people don't really know this, but she was our starting five uh, as a sophomore. Uh, and then unfortunately she tore ACL in practice and that really set her back a little bit. But I, I think uh, she is more than capable. I think she's only gonna get better as the year goes on. Um, and it's, it's incredibly gratifying to see her hard work uh, pay dividends for her and us as a team. Your team has the chance on Friday to go to Bowling Green and improved to 2-0 in Mid-American Conference play. But it's a new look Bowling Green team. And you in your Mac Media Day a couple of weeks ago said that in this conference, Bowling Green may have finished last, but they might be the best quote-unquote last place team. They certainly don't look like that this year in terms of being in a last place team. Talk to me about Bowling Green because they're off to a 3-0 start. This is not a laydown game. There's no laydown games in this conference. You're absolutely out of your mind if you think you're just going to go into Bowling Green and walk out with a win. It's just not going to happen. Uh, you're going to have to show up. Um, but uh, it's no surprise they're 3-0. and um, Robin's done a great job there. She's uh, got some new players, some new freshmen that are really making an impact for, for them and their program. Um, her, I think the style of play is very similar. Uh, just with different personnel, I think they've probably upgraded their personnel a little bit, and and it's showing. Uh, so we've got our we got a challenge for us ahead of us, um, but it's you know again, the whole focus this week is one and zero. You know, can we can we go on the road again um, into a hostile environment, which is typically what Bowling Green is, and uh, and get another road win and, and be two and zero in conference. I mean you. With this year, you just don't know. You know, are you going to get to play the whole twenty games? Are you going to? You just don't know what's next. So you have to take every opportunity in front of you and, and absolutely capitalize on it. Each game presents different challenges, presents different opportunities. When you wake up in the morning uh, and you're making your coach's checklist, if you will, hey, we need to do this, this, and this today to win the game. What are those three things for maybe Bowling Green specifically, or or is it more of an overall picture that you know, if we can do these things, I feel confident in every game we would play? Yeah, I, I think that's probably where the biggest change has been for our program. You know, the first two years, 
uh, we had to almost play perfect basketball and we had to do a lot of things well. Uh, this year, I, you know, these last two years, really, I, I think it's always going to be a, a defensive transition, a limit pain points, and uh, limit second chance points from a defensive standpoint. Offensively, I think there's a lot of room for us to grow. I, I, you know, one of the things that made me happy about the SEMO game was that we ended up with 18 assists. So we're starting to play more than the way that I want us to play. Um, and the way I want us to play takes time. Uh, but every game we've gotten better. Uh, more people are getting opportunities. The ball is moving more. We're putting more pressure on teams. But we're still not getting to the free throw line as much. Uh, there's still a lot of open shots that I think we're capable of making that we're not making right now. And I think there's some room to grow in the transition game for us. So. Uh, that's kind of what makes it all so exciting because there's a lot of things that we can, you know, we're off to a three and one start and that's exciting, obviously. But what's really exciting is where can we go from here? That's it for this edition of the Eastern Insider Podcast. Thanks for listening. For Greg Steiner, I'm Alex Jewell reminding you to visit emueagles.com slash podcasts or go to SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you get your digital media to stay connected with us every Monday. As always, follow us on social media for the most up-to-date information on EMU Athletics.